The New Factory Thinker. Chapter 2. New Thinking for a New Marketplace. When I wrote another $700 check for the lease on our mailing machine, I understood that the future had caught up with me, and I hadn't seen it coming. Three years earlier, I was convinced I was a genius. I had contracts to publish newsletters and magazines for more than 100 clients. My most lucrative revenue source was mailing out the publications to our clients' customers and prospects. To do this, we had leased a high-speed mailing machine that cranked out hundreds of letters an hour. It was a pricey piece of equipment but I loved it. Every letter that went through the machine meant one thing, money. More letters, more money. The sound of the mailing machine in high gear was music to my ears. But then in the early 1990s, market conditions changed. Business owners migrated away from printed marketing tools to their digital counterparts. Like a slow death, the demand for my printed products declined day by day. The lovely sound of the mailing machine churning out letters became less frequent, and I by extension less happy. Then one day, the finance company called to see if I wanted to release the machine for another six years. After some pondering, I agreed because I still had a fair bit of mailing business even if it was on the decline. I figured there was nothing else to do. Three years later, the mailing machine sat silent in the mailing room. No one sent out printed newsletters anymore. Everything had gone digital. But I still had to fork over $700 month after month, year after year. This nasty experience taught me a lesson. When you run a business, the future won't be the same as the past. When you make a long-term commitment to an asset like a mailing machine, there's no guarantee that resource will be required in the future. But you'll still be on the hook for it, and that can cost you a lot of money. I realize now the mailing machine was a manifestation of my old factory thinking at the time. My business mind was running on an old operating system that had been programmed into the collective consciousness of our culture at the start of the Industrial Revolution. With a brain wired for old factory thinking, I didn't see how the world was changing and as a result, I made bad business decisions. In this case my erroneous thinking cost me thousands of dollars. That's why I wrote this book. To help you recognize your own old factory thinking and rewire your mind so you can survive and succeed in the new factory marketplace. To illustrate what I mean, consider these three scenarios. Scenario 1. You're in a meeting at Apple in 1998. The top executives are brainstorming ideas to sell more computers. Suggestions are bandied about, maybe we should lower the price of the Mac. Maybe we should increase our advertising budget. Maybe we should expand our retail network. Then someone at the back of the room, a newly appointed executive, puts up her hand and says, I think we should sell music. The question is, would you have voted for or against that idea? Scenario 2. In 1990, you meet Howard Schultz. He's full of enthusiasm about his idea for a company called Starbucks. He tells you his vision, we're going to get people to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. The question is, in 1990, when the average cup of coffee was 50 cents, would you have supported Schultz's idea for a $5 cup of coffee? Scenario 3. In the 1990s, you attend a meeting in Palo Alto. Two guys have invented something called a search engine, and it's attracting lots of users. 
the inventors want to give their company a name. Someone suggests they call the company Google. The question is, would you have voted for or against that name? To be honest, I would have voted no to all three ideas. In hindsight, it's tempting to say I would have voted yes, but I know I would have voted them down. My experience as a business coach tells me that most people would have voted no as well. Not because they lack intelligence or imagination, but because their mind is wired for the marketplace of the past, not the marketplace of the future. This is a huge problem because this old kind of thinking, what I call old factory thinking, stops them from achieving their full potential. It can also lead to economic hardship for millions of people. How we currently think about business has become obsolete. For the past 200 years, the Industrial Revolution wired our minds to think in a certain way, specifically like an assembly line, linear, hierarchical, and efficiency-focused. It led us to believe that increasing consumption is the primary objective of the economy, and that the key to success in the marketplace is to produce and sell as many products and services as possible. Our industrial, assembly line minds also view the marketplace as a competitive battlefield where resources are scarce. This kind of thinking has worked so well for so long it has become the unquestioned mental template for success. But old factory thinking is now obsolete because the economy and the marketplace have changed on a fundamental level. It has changed from an assembly line structure to a value hub structure. The industrial assembly line has been replaced by the internet, a global network of connected relationships, as the economy's dominant means of production. This shift from an assembly line economy, old factory, to a value hub economy, new factory, is causing unprecedented and irreversible changes. Increased global competition is driving down margins on traditional products and services. This is forcing old factory companies to cut costs, often by replacing human employees with computers and robots. Many old factory companies have been forced out of business or marginalized. In addition, the psychology of consumers has changed. Empowered by new technology and exposed to an ever-increasing volume of information, they see the world through new eyes and behave differently in the marketplace. Ironically, the same technology that marketers use to reach consumers has also made it easier for them to hide from marketers, driving up the cost of sales. Under these conditions, old factory thinking doesn't work anymore. That's why I wrote this book, to teach you a new way of thinking that's more appropriate for the world we live in today. Many of the issues and ideas discussed in this book will make you uncomfortable. Having your established way of thinking challenged is not fun. You might be scared about what's coming and hope it won't happen. You might worry about your business, your job, or your family's future. But you'll learn that new factory thinking is much more exciting and invigorating than old factory thinking. You'll realize you've placed unnecessary limitations on yourself. You'll understand that old factory thinking has been holding you back from achieving your full potential. You'll discover that greater success will come, not from working harder, you already work hard enough, or even from working smarter. You'll discover that greater success will only happen when you transform your way of thinking on a fundamental level. Using new factory thinking, you'll experience an explosion of ideas about how to provide new, more profitable kinds of value in the marketplace. You'll redefine what value means and come to appreciate that in the new factory marketplace, value and wealth are being created in ways that were unimaginable in the old factory economy. 
You'll also see that building your new factory is also easy and fun. The first step towards new factory thinking is to admit you currently engage in old factory thinking. Being brutally honest, you accept that your mind is programmed for the past, not the future. To see what I mean, let's review the three scenarios presented at the start of the chapter. First, the story about Apple. When someone suggested they sell music, the natural reaction was negative. Why would we, a computer company, get into the music business? That's a different industry. That's not our area of expertise. We're a computer company, not a music company. Caught up in a limited self-definition, we're a computer company, most Apple people rejected the idea at first. But of course, we know now it was a brilliant idea. By branching out into music, Apple became a totally different kind of company. Once they broke through the computer-only barrier, they no longer placed restrictions on what they could or could not provide to their customers. This positive experience opened their minds to many other value creation possibilities such as iPhones, tablets, apps, movies, and ebooks. Of course, there never were any real restrictions. The restrictions were only in their mind. There was no law stopping them from expanding into other industries, just old factory thinking. So when someone suggests you could provide value that falls outside your industry or product-slash-service category, stop before you trash the idea. Notice your old factory thinking. You see, in the new factory marketplace, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Your customers don't care. Only you care. In fact, when you act as a value hub, traditional industry definitions are irrelevant. Ask yourself, what industry is Apple in? Can you say they're in the computer industry or the music industry? Are they in the telecommunications industry? By acting as a value hub, it doesn't matter to Apple. Apple is its own industry. They're in the industry of creating value for their customers, no matter what that means. Now to the Starbucks story. In 1990, most people rejected Schultz's vision of a $5 cup of coffee. Why would anyone pay $5 for a cup of coffee when you can get it for 50 cents, they asked. Old factory thinkers couldn't imagine such a scenario, so they didn't try to figure it out. But Schultz believed that, if we build it they will come. And indeed they do. Today, millions of people line up every day to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. This kind of old factory thinking is common. When I suggest to business owners that their customers might pay 10 times more for something, they scoff. They say, our customers will never pay more, certainly not 10 times more. Then I ask them, pay 10 times more for what? They can't see the opportunity because they're stuck in old factory thinking. Their old factory industry is so competitive and commoditized that, in their mind, price is the only point of differentiation. Their customers demand the lowest price, and they try to provide it. So when I suggest their customers might pay 10 times more, they can't imagine it. Their brains are just not wired to see the possibility. Let's turn to the third story about Google. You can kid yourself, but I bet you would have voted against calling the company Google. You would have said, that's a crazy name. It doesn't mean anything. It's weird. No one will get it. It will make us look foolish. It's too risky. I used to be like that. 
When I started writing books, I gave them boring titles. I was trying to establish my credentials as an expert by being serious and conservative. But this old factory thinking stopped my books from standing out in the marketplace. Then I wrote a book with the crazy title How to Sell a Lobster. You know what happened. The funny name worked. I've sold more than a million copies in 28 countries in 12 languages. The lesson is, the 200-year-old factory era wired our minds for conformity and conventionality. Being bland and boring worked best in a hierarchical society. Blending in and keeping a low profile was safer. Doing something strange or bizarre meant public scorn or even jail. Think of Oscar Wilde or Lenny Bruce. But in the new factory marketplace, being plain and boring means marginalization and failure. In today's entertainment-rich marketplace your customers are being amused 24-7 in a myriad of ways using a multitude of media. If you don't do something dramatic to catch their attention, you'll never emerge from the pack. So when someone suggests you put a picture of a giraffe on your website, or call your company a name like Shoelace or Flunkyfest, think twice before you run the idea into the ground. Pause, notice your old factory thinking, and consider the potential upside of the strange, the odd, and the peculiar. I love these three new factory scenarios because they cut through self-deception. Most of us believe we're forward-thinking and open-minded, but it's simply not the case. When given an idea to create value outside our normal parameters, we often reject the idea. When it's suggested our customers might pay 10 times more, we disparage the notion. And when given the option to do something wild and crazy, we cringe at the possibility. That's just the way our minds are wired. From birth we have been conditioned for old factory thinking. The lessons learned from Apple, Starbucks and Google is that new factory thinking works better these days. That's why we need to change how we think in a myriad of ways. Instead of thinking about how to get our customers to consume more resources, we need to think about how our customers can get better results using less resources. Instead of thinking in a linear and fragmented fashion, we need to think spatially and holistically. Instead of focusing exclusively on tangible products and services, we need to focus more of our attention on providing intangible value, to take advantage of the trend towards dematerialization. Instead of being salespeople making a sales pitch, we need to attract subscribers to our network by providing free value during the sales process. Instead of just seeking to do transactions with customers, we need to build a networked community around our business. We need to keep expanding the quantity and quality of this network. Instead of creating a product or service just once, we need to be continuous value creators. We need to continuously create innovative value on a minute-by-minute -minute basis with our customers. We need to focus more on what we know and less on what we do, and then turn our knowledge and wisdom into new forms of value. Most importantly, we need to be comfortable with continuous change and reconfigure our businesses and our thinking in order to welcome change as an opportunity not a threat. Taken together, these elements of new factory thinking represent a radical rearrangement of how we see the world and our role in it. Sadly, many people will not want to change their way of thinking and will fail in the new factory marketplace. Others will see the writing on the wall and make the effort to change. I'm hoping you're one of those people. If you are, let's get started.